0: Welcome to the STR Data Lab. Hello, and welcome to the STR Data Lab. I'm Jamie Lane, Chief Economist at AirDNA, and I'm here again with our lovely CEO, uh, Demi Horvat. Uh, Demi, welcome to the podcast again, a uh, second time in a row.
1: Wow, must have done okay the first time. Thanks for having me back, Jamie.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. It's been an interesting summer, and I apologize to everyone. I woke up a little bit sick, uh, so my voice isn't isn't as crisp as maybe it normally is. But Demi, I'm gonna start with you. Let you. I, I know you're in Austin right now for the IMN conference. It's for those who don't know what it is. It's a institutional investment conference for short term rentals. These are the big guys operating in the industry: investors, owners, lenders. Really. Uh, some of the major movers and shakers in the industry, all getting together, talking about what next, what's next. So what have you heard? What's happening? Uh, what What's making news at the conference?
1: Man. Uh, so I will say, upon arrival, the top two two topics of conversation were, one, issues with United flights, I think, <laughs> leaving the airport and just even getting in the elevator to get to the rideshare pickup area. That was number one topic and definitely has been a source of frustration for people also just looking at their their flights heading out of the conference. Uh, So that was number one. Number two, heat dome. Very, very hot here. Hits you in the face as soon as you walk out of the airport. But more industry-related hot topics. I mean, the one that has been all over the place, that obviously you are deep in as well, Jamie, has just been Twitter. The viral tweet about the industry has certainly been a big topic of conversation. Uh, And I will say one of the fun things to watch has been that Bram has been the bell of the ball at this conference. Uh, He was on the very first panel on Thursday, and he shared the slide that you had created in order to respond to the tweet about industry demand, Airbnb kind of quote unquote collapse being the, the headline there. And so he shared that analysis in the first session and people were coming by trying to ask for more details and get further into it, which was, was great to see.
0: And just for the listeners, Bram is an uh, economist with AirDNA, was presenting at the conference. And then for those of our listeners that don't know what this viral tweet is, can you explain it to everyone? What was the tweet and what did it say?
1: Yes. Uh, So the tweet basically said there's going to be a collapse in the housing market driven by the fact that uh, Airbnb rev pars and demand are super down in a few key metro areas. So the background is that the analyst's name is Nick Gurley. I'm not sure if that's the correct pronunciation, uh, but doing my best. Uh, and the underlying data is all the room's data. And it was basically a very negative take about future outlook for the industry, saying um, some pretty dramatically declining changes in a number of markets that Jamie was so kind as to respond to and compared to our data. So,
0: So besides the tweet and the heat, what else was going on at the conference? I know the last time I was there, regulation was probably the number one topic that people were talking, uh, sort of discussing, there was the, the expectations of recession over the next year. And as we know that that hasn't come true, were there any sort of themes throughout this time?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I was expecting a little bit more about recession. Um, That's definitely been a topic at a lot of the recent conferences that we've been to. And it was definitely less of a theme at this conference than at some of those other ones. I would say there was more a theme around resiliency and specifically a lot of discussion about luxury and luxury to some extent being more insulated uh, from things like inflationary pressures. So, talk of the luxury part of the market, kind of professional part of the market, and then some interesting conversations just about ancillary revenue streams. Uh, so, there was an interesting panel talking about opportunities to maximize re- revenue through uh, things like early check-ins, late check-outs, extending stays if you don't have a booking for right after uh, the end of an existing reservation. Uh, and then one hot one that I know we've heard before is just how much you can charge if you have an EV charger at that luxury end of the market. Um, and then one of the things that I thought was quite interesting is generative AI has been the topic at every conference, seems to make its way into every conversation. And it definitely was not a, a huge topic of conversation, at least in the panels and, uh, and speaking sessions that I attended. It definitely came up, but just not at the the level that it's been a, a topic of conversation at other conferences.
0: So are you telling me now every short-term rental I stay at, they're going to start charging me for early check-in and late check-out?
1: Lucky even, you.
0: <laughs> even when they don't have a guest coming the next day, like, sorry, get out of there by 10.
1: Yeah, it was funny because it was kind of both directions where people were talking about how especially at the luxury end of the market, people don't want to be nickel and dimed. So don't nickel and dime people for something like the cleaning fees, but then at the same time do offer things like a paid early check-in and a private chef and, I don't know, golf carts or something. And you can charge for those. So in some ways, a little bit conflicting, but interesting nonetheless.
0: Yeah. I recently talked with a reporter doing a hit piece on surprise fees and sort of railing on that they had just gone on a vacation and were charged for sheets uh, and just couldn't believe that a vacation rental didn't include the sheets um, and charged them $100 extra for the beds to be made with, with sheets. And the expectation was that you would bring your own.
1: That is ridiculous. And I have also seen a listing before that said you have to bring your own sheets, which did strike me as kind of outrageous. Unless it's a campground or something, that is just ridiculous.
0: I, what we talked about, though, was how for a lot of vacation rental markets, that's been a norm for decades. And I think the Outer Banks is actually a great example of of one where historically, and pre-Verbo, pre-Airbnb, it was a market where and the expectation was that everyone brought their sheets. And a lot of... Rentals have continued that, especially some of the older property managers. And huh. just because of the advent of Airbnb and Verbo and urban listings where I and mean, every bed is made with sheets and a comforter and pillows, uh, doesn't mean that everyone's adopting to those new norms, uh, and they're sort of keeping some of their old ones. so it was that sort is of a, super
1: interesting. I did not yeah. know that. I mean, my knee-jerk reaction is, gosh, they're going to have to start providing sheets if everybody else is. Imagine the horrible guest experience if you arrive, didn't read the fine print, which I confess I often do not do, and then you have nothing to sleep on.
0: Right. And I was on a family vacation in, in Litchfield Beach uh, like three or four weeks ago, and the unit, I got a call from my mother-in-law, and she was like, had the... the Short-term rental we're we're renting from doesn't provide sheets, but they offer to rent them for a hundred dollars. And then we have to pick them up. And then if we want the beds made, we have to pay an extra hundred and fifty dollars. I was like, I was like, Kathy, we, we can make beds. Like, don't worry about that. Like <laughs> We've already left, we can't bring cheats.
1: I'm curious what kind of hospital corners they're doing for 150 bucks. (laughs) Maybe there's just a whole different level of bed making than what we've experienced before. Right. I wanted to ask you, so I know that you have been getting a gazillion conversation requests, data requests, everyone is reaching out, um, similarly to what was happening to poor Bram at IMN. (laughs) Um, Just to speak a little bit more about the industry outlook, about what we're seeing in our data. Can you just give a little explainer for people of what your perspective is and what you're seeing in our data and then also just help people understand why some of these numbers could be so different?
0: Yeah, so uh, I first saw the data that Nick put out on uh, Monday night. I was uh, heading to my Monday night Dart League. I got a text from a buddy like, hey, have you seen this? looked at it and immediately was like something just looks way off like there's no way I have to
1: interrupt you here just because for everybody's knowledge we did an executive activity where we went axe throwing and Jamie <laughs> was like in one of those post apocalyptic tv shows able to throw an ax directly at the bullseye with perfection. And if I had known that it's because you practice darts every week, I would be <laughs> less alarmed because here I was thinking you have a target and an ax in your basement or something, and we're practicing for the occasion. So yeah, no,
0: no target, no ax, just uh, beers with friends on Monday nights to, to throw some darts and, and get away from having to put the kids down every, every night of the week.
1: Uh <laughs> Ooh, <truth> comes out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so looking at the post, and it was clear to me, as someone looking at the data every day, uh, that there was something off. So, being the the data nerd that I am, uh, sitting at a bar in a booth by myself, uh, digging into the data on my phone, trying to understand and if there's any way to get to similar numbers from our data set for which there wasn't, no matter how many different ways. I sliced and diced or filtered the data. There's no way to manipulate the data in the same way. So the next day getting back, uh, wanted to, uh, run the same analysis with our own data. Uh, so in the tweet, it used a metric called revenue per available listing, uh, not a typical metric that we put out. Usually we do it, um, revenue per available room night, uh, rep far. And
1: what's the difference between those?
0: Yeah. So, Uh, standard RevPAR would look at revenue per night available and revenue per listing would assume all nights in a month are available for that entire listing. So essentially the difference would be blocked nights. Uh, We're accounting for nights that were blocked where you wouldn't have been able to earn revenue, uh, where revenue per available listing would just assume every single day of the month was available. So you look at year of year percent changes. There's essentially no difference in the different ways to calculate it. So I don't think that was I, the reason why or contributed to the, uh, extreme drop off in revenues. And then he was pulling the data by Metro, our standard, uh, market minder definitions are by cities. So we went back and re pulled all the data by Metro to align it with, uh, what he had put out. And then posted a tweet on Tuesday sort of aligning what he had released uh, f- uh, and comparing that to uh, the data that we have in our database for for all those listings. And And broadly, he was showing a 40% decline in revenue. When we do the same analysis, we show roughly 3.5% decline in revenue. So still a decline and still a decline in, in many of the markets. Like in Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, one of and the more popular vacation rental destinations. It's been a popular one for, for new investments as well over the past couple of years. And we are seeing a 10% decline in, in RevPal. Uh, we're seeing a 10% decline in RevPar. Uh, we're seeing o- both occupancies and ADRs coming down, uh, but not nearly, the I think, the 47% decline that he had called out in the tweet. And Uh, digging into the analysis and he posted a YouTube video where he showed all the different markets around the country. And It wasn't just the markets he cherry-picked are pulled into the post. They were showing that declines throughout the entire US where the best performing market was only down like 20% and the worst performing ones were down 70, 80%. And that points that there was something wrong with the data. Um, or something wrong with this analysis of the data. It wasn't based in any uh, factual analysis. We, we have Airbnb's uh, publicly released data where they're showing, I night's booked, um, our listing growth of 18% around the world. They're showing revenue growth of 20%. So I broadly for their business, they're not seeing listing growth faster than revenue. Uh, so on average, hosts are still earning more revenues Uh, And then even when you compare to other industry providers, which I'm in my course of doing business, I'm always checking our data against what others are saying and it's not lining up. So uh, by posting, it wasn't meant to I call him out or I say that he's wrong, but just to provide another opinion of, I we believe IodNA data is the gold standard of the industry. We've got uh, 130 people at our company that spend in their days trying to make the data as, as good as possible and help our customers leverage it in their business. And uh, I've heard from countless customers, countless clients, countless friends in the industry uh, that we're all getting sent this tweet. And, and even from homeowners owners uh, reaching out to their property managers of saying, what's happening in this industry? Should I be getting out? And where they're then yeah. be able to go back and share the data that we uh, provided and say, hey, there's something wrong with the data. Here's the real data. Uh, no need to panic. Like, And I think that's broadly helped in in quelling some of the narrative and at least providing an alternative view.
1: Yeah, I will say it was a hot topic of conversation at IMN. But for the most part, the folks that came over to talk about it were talking about how this is not something that they're seeing in their data. And they were curious what our perspective was in terms of what we're seeing in our data, which felt like it was more aligned. And then I would also just add, I think it was maybe yesterday morning, we saw that Airbnb put out a statement saying beyond Q1 numbers that are that are public uh, and were mm-hmm. already reported, the data in that original analysis is not aligned to what they're seeing in, in their numbers. So that's super helpful. I mean, I think we were pleased to see that the industry is being discussed by so many people. It's always a great thing for the industry to be getting such a, an important conversation. But at the same time, we have been talking to a lot of people who are just looking for clarity. And in particular, we're referencing the tweet that you put out, Jamie. Um, So well-written and thanks for clarifying that.
0: Yeah, I do think my last point on that was, uh, because we talk with a lot of investors, both for Airbnb's business, Expedia's business, looking at that uh, and wanting to understand the difference too. And, and I think it was clear that investors did not react to it. They, they saw between the lines and the data. And over the past five days, Airbnb stock's actually up 5%. So it, it did, not, did not scare the markets in a way that I think you thought it might have.
1: Yeah, makes sense. Um, and for people who want more information, or for the other data nerds who are listening to this, where can they get access to that slide that you put together, or the the comparison that you pulled together?
0: Yeah, you, um, it's it's on Twitter. Um, you can also follow me on on LinkedIn, where I think I posted it too. But uh, my Twitter is Jamie uh, J A M I E underscore Lane, uh, and you can see all my my tweets and follow me there. One of the big benefits added. Few thousand new subscribers uh, in the past week are uh, followers, so little benefit from this whole fiasco.
1: Yeah, I'm glad there are some pros because cons are, I know you've been absolutely inundated with press interviews just constantly and looks like you're <laughs> losing your voice and are now sick. So at least you got some more followers on Twitter.
0: Yeah, yeah. The like we've done like 10, 10 media interviews over the past 48 hours, so it's, it's been a hot topic.
1: Oh my god. Anything else that you wanted to call out about the analysis, about the different kind of narratives that are out there? Anything else that people should know?
0: Only that, and we are aware um, that some markets are performing significantly worse than others. We did share some data with uh, uh, Newsweek uh, and Bloomberg on what markets are going down the most. And because it's not all Sunshine and rainbows out there. There are some markets with I mean, significant declines in, in revenues happening, I and mean, anywhere from I mean, not the 40 and 50% that they reported, but 15 to 20 to 25% declines year over year. I and mean, most of that is, I and mean, it's a combination of occupancy and ADR. It's some markets going back to more typical seasonality patterns, some I'm dealing with significant supply growth, anywhere from 40 to 50% in some of the fastest growing markets. That's going to take some time to absorb. Every market though is still significantly higher in terms of revenue than it was pre-pandemic. Most of them significantly higher. Uh, So if you invested in 2020, 2021, expecting those gains to sort of stay and and you're seeing a moderation and that is causing pain for people out there. We acknowledge that we're not Trying to minimize the pain that is out there, uh, but just showing that, and there are a lot of people still doing really well, and that's and broadly what we heard from people is that the and while there is some declines out there, they're not nearly that level, and and broadly people still see the industry as very healthy. I st- still see it as very healthy. I still see broadly that the industry is is undersupplied in terms of how popular it is. Uh, for people to stay in short term rentals, how much further growth we're going to get over the next year or two, um, and that there's going to be some ups and downs. But broadly, we're on a a, a growth path uh, over the next couple of years.
1: Awesome. And I think that is a message that we've delivered before and have kind of consistently been seeing. Basically, things are looking pretty good for the industry. And at the same time, that might not mean that every single individual uh, is seeing the same the same thing and there's some variance across markets. That is super helpful, thank you, Jamie. So good segue, I think, to what we are seeing for summer pacing in our data. Can you speak to just what you're observing so far? Yeah,
0: so leading up to this, now we've seen 15 consecutive months of occupancy declines. So we are seeing the reversion occupancy and i mean, as far out as we can see into the summer. So uh, we're seeing that continue. So for the summer, and I sort of pegged this as now through uh, the week of Labor Day, so the week of September 9th, we're seeing occupancy pacing about 4% lower uh, than last year as of the same point in time. So as we look out today, listings are about 33% occupied, and that compares to 37% last year with overall 20% more available listings booked and demand about 10% higher than it was. So overall, there are 10% more nights booked as of this same point in time last year. So demand is not going down. We're not seeing anything sort of fall off a cliff. But with supply up 20%, that's pulling occupancy down. And where we're seeing some significant weakness, we've talked about this in the past, uh, popular beach coastal destinations, seeing occupancies down about 9%. Uh, so they're about 43% occupied today compared to 47% last year. So we're still going to see uh, a lot more bookings, a lot of bookings in the month for the month, a lot of people still booking today for August, September. So if you take what we see now in terms of nights booked uh, compared to past years, uh, we expect this summer to end up about 67% occupied when it's all said and done and that's compared to 71% uh, last year and 75% in 2021. So low compared to the highs in 2021, but still north of the 62% from the summer of 20, 2019.
1: Got it. So some people in these vacation kind of coastal type markets in particular are seeing higher demand than last year, but New supply has come on outpacing that demand, so occupancy is going to be a little bit lower. Is that the right the right? Yeah, and,
0: and you're in New York, so I'm sure you go spend your, your summer in the Hamptons, right, Demi? Uh,
1: I wish. <laughs> I think I'm spending my summer in the Denver office.
0: Maybe the Jersey Shore. So Jersey Shore is down 20% versus last year. Uh, Hamptons are down 11%. Cape Cod down 9%. There are some areas that, are are weaker jersey shore is one of the markets where it's actually below 2019 levels right now Mm. so not all as we said sun and rainbows uh, but broadly and we do see people changing the locations Uh, let's say they've gone to the jersey shore they've stayed domestic they've stayed within driving distance for the past three years they want to explore other destinations they want to go to europe they want to go um, out west. And we're seeing that uh, impact some markets more than others. Yeah.
1: So guests are adjusting their behavior, it sounds like. And then yep. what would your advice be for operators in these markets who are seeing a little bit of a tougher landscape? What would you do in their position?
0: Yeah, one is uh, really be paying attention to, to pacing and price. So how much is booked? What are the typical lead times for that month? Uh, if I'm in outer banks and I'm empty now for the summer. And I see typical lead times are three months. Like now's the time to probably start discounting if you're gonna get someone in. If not, your, your unit's gonna, uh, not gonna be booked. So broadly pay attention to the data. Look at ways that you can, and not a quick fix, but make your unit more attractive. So with all the new supply that's been coming in, uh, people have been making significant investments into their properties.
1: Like EV chargers, for example,
0: EV, EV chargers, pickleball courts, hot tubs, pools, mini golf courses. I, and it's, it's crazy. The stuff that people are adding to the units to, to make them more attractive. I, I did an interview with someone in, in Phoenix and she said the the thing that was driving bookings, it was one of the simplest things is they were doing accent walls with bright colors. Uh, people want I and mean, when they're booking Instagrammable
1: a unit. experiences. Instagrammable yeah. in the in some of the sessions. Um, and a couple examples were themed houses. So like the Harry Potter themed house, where you're not going after all of the demand, you're going after a particular niche um, and can maybe capture more of that niche. But yeah, we heard themes like Harry Potter, we heard specific use cases like bachelor and bachelorette parties and then design and kind of artistry. So the accent walls, the nice artwork at a large scale, luxury furnishings, all of that good stuff.
0: And that's where it's still one of my favorite pages in MarketMinder. um, AirDNA's tool is top properties. So being able Mm -hmm. to go to any city in the world, filter by bedroom counts, property type, and get a sense of what properties are earning the highest occupancies, which ones are getting the highest ADRs, uh, be able to dive into specific zip codes and see that, like, and see see who's outperforming, see the amenities they have, see what they're doing, see how their listing is presented, what they're calling out for visiting in their market, and then adapting to that. Because it is a a much more competitive landscape out there today than it, it has been at any other point. Makes
1: perfect sense. Even if you don't have the best idea yourself, you can look around for a little bit of inspiration. Maybe even look at other markets that you think are ahead of yours in terms of competition, because I'm sure everyone's putting their best foot forward.
0: Or just I'm, give Chat GPT your listing and ask it what you should do. I'm sure that 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 might help too.
1: And of course, we've gone back to generative AI, <laughs> as most conversations seem to do recently. Yeah, but yes, Chat GPT is great. I love it.
0: Well. I think that sounds like a, a good point to wrap up the podcast. Uh, Demi, thank you so much for uh, co-hosting with me again today and hope you have a safe uh, travel back to New York and without uh, further delay.
1: Thankfully, I'm flying Delta, so I hope they don't let me down. Um, and thanks <laughs> for taking the time, Jamie, and I hope you feel better uh, and can maybe rest your voice after people stop reaching out to talk to you about the data. So fingers crossed.
0: Fingers crossed. Thanks Jimmy. Thanks everyone Thank for you. listening.